1: This is an ode to the glass noodle. You may be glass only in name, but our love for you is crystal clear in every Bibigo Korean dumpling. Your tantalizing texture tickles the taste buds, and while you are see-through, the world can't help but see you. The glass noodle, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every plump and juicy Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. Hi there, I'm Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. We have the founder of Right Side Up, which you can see at rightsideup.com. It's a collective of growth marketing specialists that have helped 200 plus venture-backed tech companies hit their goals. We can go into who those companies were during our chat. Anyway, we have that founder, Tyler Elliston, is with us. Tyler,
0: welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Can you share your background and what you're up to with uh, Right Side Up these days?
0: Sure. Yeah. So really, for the last 15 years, I've worked exclusively with tech startups in one of two roles. Either I've been founding them or helping to found them. Or I've been leading customer acquisition. And so, you know, my job has really always been to invest a dollar and try to get two dollars out. In both of those roles over all of these years, I've leaned on a lot of agencies, some of which, as you would imagine, are really good, others not so much. But there were always things as an in-house marketer or founder that frustrated me about the agency experience. So four years you're ago. Not the,
1: only one, you're yeah, not
0: the only one. Yeah, yeah right? exactly. Yeah. And so so about four years ago, um, I had been freelancing, and I was sort of looking at the agency model and thinking, "Gosh, if if there was a different model that was more appealing to founders, in-house leaders like myself in those past roles, that could get really, really interesting." And so, Right Side Up is my effort to do that—to provide external marketing support, but through a structure that's more compatible with the needs of early to mid-stage tech companies. And as you mentioned, we've had the opportunity to work with a lot of great companies which I can share some of those.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting concept. And I've heard that term a couple of times lately, collective. You know, Mm -hmm. it used to be something that you'd hear Hate ashbury in the 1960s, right? Yes. But it really kind of makes sense for today's world where everyone's distributed and there's a lot of freelancers and contractors who have specific skills that maybe... If you did have an agency, you wouldn't need 100% of the time, but maybe you need strategy one day, you need creative the next day. It just makes sense to kind of have a collective.
0: Exactly. There's, um, you know, when we kind of looked at the agency model of what was the good agencies, what was so good about them, it really came down to the talent. The talent is the common denominator. And so, you know, we wanted to build a company around A plus talent. And to your point, you know, sometimes the needs are very fractional in nature and you need, you know, one skill for this three month period and another skill for the next three month period. And being able to be really responsive to the needs and just flex the team around, you know, around the evolving needs is really powerful. Yeah.
1: I want to talk about the thing that everybody is talking about these days, COVID-19. Yes. It's taken over the world, not just from a medical standpoint, but just it's kind of gotten into all of our lives in one way or another, whether we've had friends or family affected by it directly or whether our businesses Mm -hmm. have been affected by it, whether our kids are in school or out of school, whether our businesses are functioning well or they're hampered by it. I'm interested in what it's been like working during COVID nineteen for you, mm-hmm. and how have you and Right Side Up fared in the past seven months or so?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. We've done all right, I think. Like a lot of companies, back in late March, we—I'll speak for myself—I was very nervous. You know, yeah, it was
1: trying the club.
0: Yeah, it was very unclear what was happening. You know, we knew every every company we work with virtually was meeting with their board evaluating how to respond to this. And I think the short answer to your question is we're anchored by diversification and that proved to be very valuable for us. We have a lot of clients that unfortunately just got hammered by the lockdowns and everything else. And understandably, they don't need marketing support. And so we saw a lot of terminations there are other companies that we work with that everything moving online really benefited them and they were begging for as much resourcing as we could provide. And then there were a lot of companies in the middle and those companies, some of them were making cuts just for out of the sense of fiscal responsibility, not really seeing around the bend and then, and then others were a bit more aggressive. So that was sort of the initial, you know, that was sort of the initial hit. Since then, we've seen a really strong recovery, really since June. And I think the companies that were really thriving, a lot of those are still thriving. A lot of the companies that were sort of in the middle bucket where they they weren't actually negatively impacted in their business, they just were being cautious. A lot of those companies are now being a lot more aggressive, actually. And then of course, there are some companies that are that are just gone.
1: Yeah, have you seen COVID-19 accelerate the digital plans of some of your clients? Absolutely. Even like the native digital companies, like if I look at Stitch Fix, you know, Mm -hmm. has this accelerated the way they're thinking about their market? They're already 100% digital, right? Mm -hmm. They're a direct-to-consumer company, and a few of your other clients are. And I'm just interested in whether it's caused – it's obviously caused a change of thinking for companies that were not native digital. Yes. But I'm just interested in whether it's its enabled a native digital company – to kind of expand its thinking and approach things slightly differently. Do you understand where I'm going with that? I do,
0: yeah. Yeah, I think there's certainly those that are not native, like in e-com, for example, we saw a lot of brands that were selling through brick and mortar that immediately were like, wow, we need another distribution point. We are now going direct to consumer on our website, and now we are going to Amazon and so we saw the most significant acceleration was in CPG expanding distribution points. To your question, yes, in sort of the digitally native brands too, but I think that's less consistent. I mean, there's certainly some digitally native brands that saw acceleration for one reason or another, and they are doubling down. You know, there are some that it's, it really feels like a land grab right now. Yeah. Um, still. I
1: keep keep thinking I'm going to wake up some morning and, you know, Target has bought, uh, rather Amazon has bought Target or something like that, (laughs) you know, that this opportunity that has presented itself in a strange way through COVID-19 will kind of remake certain markets.
0: Yes, I agree. I mean, it's a fascinating thing to think about both how it shakes up incumbents, but also, you know, we've seen many really innovative people respond to this including those that have just gotten hammered through you know they've responded with innovation and they've pivoted and now they're doing a you know new business model that would have been unthinkable before the pandemic and now they're getting traction in a way that they weren't getting before the pandemic with their old business model and now they're crushing it and that's yeah. that is so encouraging to see you know people respond and find their way towards opportunity If
1: you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. Yeah, so let's continue the discussion about COVID-19. And this year with COVID-19 and social unrest and Mm -hmm. economic problems, how should companies think about managing demand for a product or category in the future knowing that things like this can happen and how markets can shift so quickly and lead to an almost instantaneous change in product market fit things yes that seemed really logical in february here in late october of 2020 when we're talking don't necessarily work, right? So right. how can you, even though the product or the category may be valid, maybe the approach to it wasn't right. Mm-hmm. So how can you manage something like that?
0: Yeah, well, I think you know, one of the things you just mentioned in that question, I think is really interesting and insightful. The, the idea that product market fit can actually shift on a dime. I mean, that, that in and of itself, in my view, is pretty novel concept there are very few things, very few exogenous variables, you know, external to the business that can fundamentally shift that. It's historically been a a pretty stable thing. So I do think it's unprecedented. (laughs) I hope that there aren't many things that can do this, but I think there are a number of ways that we've seen companies respond so that they can be more, so they can be more responsive, both as COVID plays out, but also there are other things. Some of those things that we've seen are, um, shorter payback periods on advertising, increasing cash reserves, changing their decision-making processes to be faster and more responsive just because it can ping-pong back and forth quickly, reallocating headcount to agencies or freelancers versus FTEs. You know, I mentioned earlier with e-com, diversifying distribution channels, certainly see dis- diversifying advertising channels. So there are a lot of these things that I think Different industries have kind of, some are more applicable than others.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about advertising, the cost of media. Yeah. I know a lot of businesses that were all over Facebook in March and April at the beginning of this, but maybe it's Mm -hmm. not such a good value for them or even as affordable. What's the deal with that kind of media and the cost of it these days?
0: Yeah, we definitely saw a CPM dip in the spring that did represent a great opportunity. And by and large, the CPMs have recovered robustly. And as we go into, well, we are in the election season. And, and as we go to the end of the year, I don't think CPMs are gonna, are necessarily going to drop. But I think the bigger thing with respect to COVID is, yes, it's the cost of media, but also the conversion rates and click-through rates. Every part of that funnel can be really significantly impacted. So back in late late March, early April, you know we had clients that yeah, they were taking advantage of the lower CPMs, but because of that shift in product market fit that you referenced, their conversion rate was like 4x right. where it was before and their click through rate was double and and so when you look at a CAC Customer acquisition cost, you know, we were seeing in some companies literally a 75, 80% drop. But that was really driven by every step of that funnel. There were other brands that, even with a CPM drop that's really notable, even that's not enough to even maintain CAC because conversion rate was really impaired. And so, you know, I think for m- most of the last few years, Facebook CPMs kind of track overall value. And when value is good, CPMs are tending to go up. And when value is lower, they tend to go lower. And then we have these shocks that temporarily just throw it out of whack. And you can either have tremendous value or little value.
1: It's the very definition of a
0: marketplace, isn't it? Yes, exactly.
1: How about uh, uh, return on ad spend? Mm -hmm. It seems, you know, uh, marketers and... And companies that spend on advertising are typically very impatient people. (laughs) And when you spend a dime, you want to see what the return is on that dime. How has COVID-19 and the seeming kind of uh, acceleration of everything associated with business, Mm -hmm. whether that acceleration is – going down the tubes or going "Ah, Mm up, everything seems to be going faster these days. And it feels like in the last seven months, I've lived 10 years. Yes. And everybody wants a faster return on whatever they're spending. How do Mm -hmm. you see that these days?
0: It's true. Our experience was definitely consistent with that perspective when COVID hit. Most companies did want a faster payback, higher ROAS. So that's definitely our experience. I will say that, a lot of that for some companies has changed because they are thriving because it does feel like a land grab there are companies that have become a lot more aggressive and i i say this obviously recognize my background i'm a growth marketer i'm i'm on the aggressive end of the spectrum you know in the room with the cfo i'm the one saying like why can't we do a one year payback why not 18 months on a profit basis but certainly that instability that we talked about of the idea that something external could really shift your retention and therefore your lifetime values, that has understandably made a lot of companies say, okay, maybe maybe say 18 months, it's 12 months. Maybe instead of 12 is six. Maybe it's like first order payback in e-com. But I would maintain my position as a growth marketer I would argue that if a customer is worth $100 to you and you push your CAC target down to $20, I would argue that it is, it is nearly as big a mistake to give up all the customers that you could get for $30, $40, $50 and still have a two-to-one ROAS as it is to be aggressive for a month or two and be a little bit over your target. I just think under the sort of over conservatism. Can be a real a real detriment if you're in a competitive space that's growing quickly
1: i'm old enough to remember i worked at a dot-com 20 years ago Mm -hmm. and i don't think we could calculate our customer acquisition costs
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah even the most aggressive growth marketers that probably shouldn't get back there
1: no it was like well we've got this much in the bank yes right so let's spend as much of it as we can yes yeah, And at least it feels like maybe there's a bit of a bubble, but it doesn't feel like that to me, at least.
0: I agree. I agree. I do feel like even the most aggressive companies that we work with, they're still anchored in a data-driven model that has buy-in from, from a CFO or finance team that is prudently looking at their cash position and when they can reasonably raise money. And it is rooted in real incremental return, which I think is a good anchor. And we have that lesson behind us, right? So
1: we all know how that ended and it didn't end well. Correct. So at some point in the next year, two years, COVID-19 will kind of fade away when maybe we get a vaccine that's and I'm opt- <laughs> yeah, it does, doesn't it? I mean, I'm I'm yearning to get to go out and explore the world again and see family members I haven't seen. And I'm sure you are, and everybody yes. out in the listening audience is, but right now it's just not practical. Yes. But I'm optimistic about the future. I guess that's why I do what I do for a living. And because if you're not an optimist as a marketer, you're not going to be very successful. Mm-hmm. And so let's put our optimistic hats on and think about the future in the post-pandemic world. What do you see as a growth marketer, mm-hmm. as a human being, as someone who's helping um, companies like Stitch Fix and DoorDash and so forth? What do you see in the post-pandemic world?
0: Yeah, I I am optimistic as well. I think that's just the way that I look at things. But in this particular instance, I feel like, really, I'd go back to what I was talking about earlier, seeing people respond to this with innovation and sort of a dogged pursuit of opportunity, even when they got crushed by this thing. And so, will it look different? Absolutely. Which industries are thriving? Which channels work? Who's doing what? All of that changes. And yet, there will be new new beauty you know new successes that are born out of this yeah and that is very encouraging and and i hope that the people that are professionally devastated by this i mean certainly i hope that as much of those industries and companies recover and to the extent they don't i'm confident that there will be other other great opportunities
1: yeah it's good to be optimistic i mean you can feel that the sky is falling Every day, and maybe it is, but yeah, but but it's good to have a positive outlook. I think.
0: Yeah, I agree. You know, I um, on a personal level, I actually a couple of weeks ago got over COVID myself. (laughs) Oh, good lord! And yeah, my you know my wife and kids, we all got it, uh, including we have a four month old son. And um, oh my word! Yeah, and we you know we've been terrified for since the beginning of this, especially for our four month old son, and understandably so. But I feel like getting to the other side of the sickness and who knows exactly what immunity, you know, we have, but there's a glimmer of hope that like, okay, our four month old got this, he's okay. We're at least for some period of time, seems like we're fine. And it's kind of been a um, foreshadowing for me of the post side of this, which is very encouraging.
1: Yeah, well, I'm boy, I'm glad you're you're healthy and I'm glad Thank your you. family pulled through. It's it can be uh devastating for people of pretty much any age for a 4-month-old to get it. My word, yeah. that's that's uh unfathomable.
0: Yes. Yes. But we'll get through it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Good. Well, hey, it was great chatting with you and um uh, I must do it again. Maybe when there is a post-pandemic world, we can get together and chat about what that world is actually like.
0: That would be great. That would be great. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Tyler. All right.
1: That was a great chat. All right. That does it for this week. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Reed Edwards, executive producer, writer, and host of Confessions of a Marketer. Shep Salau is my producer, helping put together the shows every week. Annalyn Timball is my assistant, and she helps with guest relations and getting everything scheduled just right. Thanks, Sheb and Annalyn. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2020. Stay healthy, and see you next time.